You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. This podcast is designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. The information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. When a member of a pensioner couple dies, the implications on the surviving partner's aged pension can be significant. The surviving partner is immediately reassessed as a single person with lower maximum payment rates compared to the previous combined couple rates and lower in income and assets test thresholds applying, and that may result in a reduction in payment. The ownership of assets suddenly becomes very important as the assessment differs depending on whether the assets were in the deceased's name surviving spouse's name or were jointly held. Who's at, uh, who assets are left to through the deceased estate also becomes important. Hi everyone, I'm Tim Sanderson, one of the senior managers in the First Tech team, and here to talk to me about this issue is Kim Guest, another of the f- uh, senior managers in the First Tech team. G'day, Kim. Hi, Tim. How you going? Yeah, going well, thanks. We're uh, doing this without uh, Craig, the head of First Tech today, so it should be... Uh, interesting. Yes, should be. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll be okay. We'll um, be fine. So let's so let's get started. Um, so I mentioned in the intro that uh, when a member of a pension couple dies, the surviving partner's age pension is immediately reassessed. So could you please run us through what happens with that? Yeah, sure. Well, um, the first step is Centrelink. Um, needs to be notified of the death, um, and that can be done either by calling them on 132300 or, um, or completing a form called an advice of death form on the Centrelink website, or, you know, it can always pop into the office. Um, so once Centrelink is notified of that death and they've got um, sufficient information, then they will um, immediately reassess um, the, the surviving partner's age pension. Um, and sometimes people think there's a bit of a delay with that, but actually once they're notified, it happens um, pretty much straight away. Um, so what happens is Centrelink will then reassess that surviving partner as a single person. And that means, um, as you said in the intro, that the single maximum rate of payment and income and asset tests will um, immediately apply. And of course, when you compare those to the um, combined couple rates that they were previously receiving, it often results in that surviving partner receiving a lower rate of payment, um, which can, you know, um, be quite distressing or surprising to them. Um, however, it's interesting, it's not always the case uh, that the surviving partner gets a reduction in pension um, because what Centrelink do is they actually stop assessing any income or assets that are in the deceased partner's name. And so only those income and assets that are in the surviving partner's name are actually used to determine their rate of payment. So depending on which income and assets are in whose name will depend on, you know, what that um, surviving partner's rate of pension will be. So all of a sudden it becomes very important what does Centrelink have on their records in terms of who owns what kind of asset. Right, okay. So just thinking about something you said there. So so if the surviving spouse didn't have many assets or income in their name, it is possible that they could actually see an increase in their age pension as a result? Yeah, that's definitely possible. Right, okay. Um, and what about jointly held assets? Um, how does Centrelink assess assets that held, let's say, is 50-50 on their system? 
Yeah, well, this one's really interesting. Um, so what happens initially is that anything that's on the Centrelink system is owned 50-50 between, um, you know, the husband and wife. They um, straight away just assess 50% as still belonging to the surviving spouse. And this is the case even with jointly held assets like, you know, joint bank accounts or whatever, which legally full ownership goes to the surviving person on the date of death. But for Centrelink purposes, they will only assess 50% of that asset until the surviving partner notifies Centrelink that they actually own 100% of that jointly held asset. Okay, so not not straight from the date of death. Okay. No, that's right. So there can actually be quite a bit of time and we'll go through, um, you know, how you notify Centrelink of that change. Um, there can be some time where, you know, just 50% is recorded on Centrelink's records. Yeah, so let's talk about that now then. So is, is there a, you know, a formal process for advising Centrelink of the transfer of assets after someone passes away? Yeah, so, so what happens is... Um, when a member of a pensioner couple dies, um, the surviving partner will generally receive what's called a bereavement statement eight weeks after the date of death. And that bereavement statement that provides a summary of the income and assets that are held in the surviving partner's name that's on the Centrelink record. So it's really good to see what Centrelink is actually assessing for that person at that date. And it also includes the income and assets that that they were assessing that were in the late partner's name at the date of death. So it allows the person to have a look, okay, what they were assessing, what they are assessing now for the surviving partner, and then they can compare that to their actual circumstances and decide decide whether they need to update their information with Centrelink. And that can include, you know, if they now 100% own those jointly held assets that have automatically um, moved into their ownership at the date of death, this is the time when they can notify Centrelink that they now 100% own those assets. And what happens if they don't notify of any changes? Yeah, so Centrelink then have another process where um, if they haven't received any updates to their details, they will um, usually issue a bereavement review 16 weeks after the date of death. And that bereavement review will include, you know, one of those income and asset update forms, the SA220, which allows, again, the surviving partner to update their details with Centrelink if there's been any changes. Okay, no worries. And um, so what about assets that form part of the deceased uh, partner's estate, um, such as assets personally in their name or half of the assets they've held as tenants in common? How, how do these assets impact the surviving spouse? Yes, very good question. Well, initially, um, you know, those assets are not assessed as belonging to the surviving spouse because they're forming part of the deceased's um, estate. And so it's only if that surviving partner is nominated, you know, through the will, for example, that they're going to be the beneficiary of those assets, then their interest in that estate will only become accessible once they're able to receive those assets or they're deemed to be able to be received. So there can be quite a period of time where um, those assets aren't assessed as belonging to the surviving partner and only once, you know, the estate's been distributed or they're able to receive those, those assets will they be assessed as belonging to the surviving partner. And then once the surviving partner actually gets those assets, they need to, you know, of course, notify Centrelink within 14 days that they've received that distribution. 
Now, interestingly, if they if the surviving partner says to Centrelink, well, you know, I'm I haven't got the estate hasn't been distributed yet, but I am expecting that I will receive um, an inheritance, then Centrelink will ask the surviving partner some questions. I'll say, well, how much do you expect to get? What date do you expect the distribution date to be? And then they'll sort of um, mark a review on their system to follow up and ask some further questions to see whether you know that inheritance was actually distributed at a later date. If they haven't got the inheritance within 12 months of the date of death, then Centrelink will start asking some questions as to, you know, why hasn't the estate been administered? Is there is there something that the surviving partner is doing that is delaying the administration of the estate? If, if there is something they're doing, um, it is possible that they can assess their interest in the estate even before it's been received. Um, but gen generally speaking, there's probably legitimate reasons why the, the estate is being delayed in its um, administration. There can be lots of reasons for the delays of an estate. Um, so usually it's not until the surviving partner receives um, their, in, their inheritance from the estate that it becomes accessible for settling purposes. So a common question that we get um, is whether the surviving spouse, if they're entitled to an inheritance from the estate, um, can they actually refuse to receive that inheritance or distribution, particularly if it's going to lead to a reduction in their age pension entitlements? Yeah, well, the answer is, um, I mean, they can refuse to receive the inheritance, but from a Centrelink point of view, deprivation would apply in that case. So, Centrelink would say you've effectively given away your money, so we're going to apply the deprivation provisions. Um, if they waive their right to the deceased estate or they direct the executor um, to distribute their interest in the deceased estate to a third party or they give their interest um, to a third party after the estate's been finalised, any of those scenarios, Centrelink will say, okay, you've given away your inheritance, we're going to assess gifting. So, of course, everything over $10,000 will be assessed as an asset and deemed for five years. Right. So, obviously, discussing the impact on the age pension of inheriting assets is a really important part of the estate planning conversation. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And an alternative... I guess, to prevent the reduction in the age pension would be to for the deceased person to leave the assets to someone else other than the surviving partner through the will? Yeah, that's right. So if the intention is for those assets to, to for example, be inherited by the children um, and if they were left to the surviving partner, they would um, cause a reduction in their age pension. An alternative is for just... Um, to amend the will so that those assets go directly to the children and not to the surviving partner for in, um, first. Um, that can obviously assist them from a Centrelink point of view, but um, they need to, of course, make sure that that's actually their intention, that they, they're not leaving the surviving partner short change, you know, that they have enough assets to meet their needs and all that sort of stuff. But if, if it was their intention for it to go to the children, certainly from a Centrelink point of view, it can be advantageous to nominate them as beneficiaries. Of course, you can run into problems, though, if, um, you know, they don't have testamentary capacity and they're unable to change their will. <laughs> and, and obviously, in that situation, I think when we're talking about deciding who assets going to be distributed to, um, it's going to be important to see an estate planning lawyer in that situation. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, a lawyer should be involved in, um, you know, all of these estate planning decisions. Okay, great. Um, so another area we do get questions about from time to time is in regards to whether the surviving partner is eligible to receive a lump sum bereavement payment. 
So can you explain how that payment works? Yeah, sure. So when a member of a couple dies, uh, the surviving partner is often eligible for a lump sum bereavement payment. Um, What Simlink do is they compare how much was the couple receiving prior to death as a combined amount um, with the new single rate of age pension that the surviving partner is receiving. And if there's been a reduction in payments and the the new rate is lower than what the combined couple were getting, then that surviving partner will be eligible for a lump sum bereavement payment. Now, the way Centrelink calculate the amount that they'll get is they basically look at the difference between the two rates and they give them 14 weeks' worth of payment, uh, the difference between the couple combined rate and the new single rate of pension. Now, that means most people do get a lump sum bereavement payment, but if um, the new single rate of pension actually isn't lower than what the couple were getting before, then they don't get a lump sum bereavement payment in that case. Now, the way it works is sometimes there's a bit of a delay um, in notifying Centrelink of a death. And so it could be that the, the deceased person has actually had a couple of pension payments paid to their bank account after they passed away. Um, in that case, um, you know, the surviving partner can keep those pension payments as long as they're within that 14-week bereavement period. But it will mean that when they're working out how much of a lump sum bereavement payment to pay them, they will reduce you know, the amount of the lump sum um, by the additional payments that were paid after the date of death. So there is an adjustment that takes place then. Okay, great. Um, So if advisors need some more information as to how lump sum bereavement payments are calculated or indeed on on how different assets are treated and the admin process where a member of a couple passes away, I believe we've got a recent article on this topic. Yes, we do. We have a new article and it's called The Centrelink Assessment When a Member of a Couple, a Pensioner Couple Dies. And in that article, we run through, you know, some of the points we've discussed today in more detail, as well as um, other related topics like how a reversionary account-based pensions assessed, what happens to their concession cards, what if they've gifted some money before they passed away, those kind of related issues. Okay, fantastic. Um, so just encourage everyone to have a look at that article if um, there's any further information that you want on any of those topics. Um, so I think that pretty much covers it. Kim, was there anything else you needed to add? Um, no, that's the main things. Thanks, oh, everybody. Okay. No problem. We might uh, leave it there. Thanks very much for that, Kim. Thanks, Tim. No worries. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please note these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors as a source of general information. All scenarios considered during this podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.